Hey, everybody. Come on over here. It's the Northern Miner Podcast. Welcome to episode 119 of the Northern Miner podcast. I'm your host, John Cumming, the editor-in-chief of the Northern Miner. This episode, we finish with part three of our in-depth interview with Margaret Kent, the chairman of Stratabound Minerals, which is looking for gold up in the Yukon. Interviewed by Trish Saywell, uh, Peggy goes into what she did after the all of Royal Oak Mines, her real estate businesses and other businesses in the Pacific Northwest. And then uh, they talk a bit about technology, what it's like to be a woman in the industry, as well as uh, some personal details about family and fitness and things like that. Uh, So a terrific uh, ending to the interview. And most of all, something that was sort of touched on a little bit in the first two sections, but goes into great detail, is the whole giant mine in Yellowknife, where there was uh, so many problems with the strike, the environmental problems, the murder uh, of, of uh, strike breakers, and then, of course, the bankruptcy itself. So Peggy hits all these questions head on and has a lot to say about it. So uh, even for the historical record, I find this is a great benefit to the industry. Before we get into it, a word of thanks to our sponsors. We have the Grasso Group out of Vancouver, headed up by entrepreneur Joe Grasso. The Grosso Group has a website, grossogroup.com, where you can find out about their three publicly traded companies, Golden Arrow Resources, Blue Sky Uranium, and Argentina Lithium and Energy. All three are active in Argentina in exploration, development, and uh, a mine as well. Our second sponsor is the Yukon Mining Alliance, which is a group of 17 mostly junior companies involved in exploration and development in the Yukon. They have a nice website at yukonmineralliance.ca where you can uh, find all kinds of information about what's going on in the Yukon these days, as well as a Twitter feed at at investyukon, all one word. Let's take a little break, and then we'll finish up with part three of the interview with Margaret Kent, interviewed by Trish Saywell. So that would have been 99, and then then you started Century in 2003 or four. Uh, one two. Of the two. I took over the company in 2000. So basically, you had two years off to just kind of regroup. Right? I regrouped. I did a bunch of health. real estate investments. I had learned all this insolvency experience, and so I bought a bunch of short sale real estate properties. Hmm. And um, in 
out, out west, yeah, mostly British Columbia and in the Pacific Northwest because we were living um, north of Seattle at that point in time. And um, bought a bunch of properties from banks who had foreclosed. These are like built condos or what would you Every One of them was a marina. Okay. One of them was, you know, um, 13 square kilometers on the I-5 interstate. <laughs> uh, you know, stuff like that. And Where'd you get the idea to do that? In the insolvency experience. Hmm. So okay. you just thought, hey, I'll just start looking at what's What banks have for sale. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the industry was really down. I mean, if you remember, the prices of the metals were really down. Yeah. And uh, it was a situation where there just wasn't any way that I could get back into the, you know, I couldn't get back into the industry. There was no money. There wasn't any money for exploration. But did you want to get back in at no, that point? No, at you that point, enough. I'd had enough. At that point, I'd been burned. You wake up, you don't have a friend in the world. You don't have anybody that'll come in and save you. All these wonderful people with all these majors that that stood out there just panting, waiting for you to go down. Okay. Nobody come and help. Nobody financially, you know, all these friends supposedly that I had in the industry who were presidents and vice presidents of major companies and I'm sitting there, you know, ready to go down. No nobody comes. Everybody now goes to their corners and says, Ah, oh, how can I get it? How much cheaper can I get it? You know, when's she gonna collapse? And I thought, well, I'll just take a breather and and then, you know, Somebody called me up and said, you know, there's this McWaters asset, it's Sigma back. I used to be the general, the, the, the guy who called me used to be the general manager at the Sigma mine. Hey, Peggy, why don't we put a shovel together and why don't we try to get back in? And so then I bought control of, of Saxony, which was a little shell, and, and uh, changed the name to Century. And, then we went to the bankruptcy court in Quebec and hired bankruptcy attorneys in Quebec, and then we put together a plan. And you know, one thing leads to another. Now, uh, here I am. I'm back in the business again, right? But when, but th that short period when you were out of it, did you miss it, or you'd had enough? I mean, the real estate part of it your didn't life. do it for me. It's, it's. I missed it. Right. I missed the. The real estate didn't do it. For the you. real estate didn't do it. I mean, or being the a real, slaughterhouse thing. Yeah, did. none of that did anything for me. I mean, it it could have it could have provided me a nice living. All right, but the sexiness, the the going. I mean, do you know how excited I am about going out? Because I know we're going to trench and we're going to drill two or three holes across Golden Covert and we're going to hit. I mean, I know it because I can see it. You can see it on the surface. You can see it in the geocams. You can, you know, we're we're gonna we're gonna hit big time. And I mean, you know, I can taste it. And it's that part of it. Was there anything exciting about buying a piece of real estate on the I-5 and had a slaughterhouse on it? And the rest of it, I short plotted off and sold part of it off to a wire and rope factory and sold part of it off to a potato storage facility and sold part of it off to a, a berry freezing facility and you know industrial there wasn't any that wasn't the same it wasn't the same as being in this business but you were wealthy you didn't have to come back right i didn't have to come back no. are you a millionaire yeah and when do you first become a millionaire how old were you 29 30 
And then you went in. And that and was you, from your first company. Yeah, yeah it was from Neptune. Yeah. I have a lot of shares in Neptune at eight bucks. No, but the, the money that you made early on was when you set up the consulting and research. Yeah, so yeah. So were you a millionaire after that no, point? No, no, no. But you became one after? The after. Yeah, after. That's but then you amazing. invest a lot of money back in. Yeah, sure. You win but, it, you lose it. But right now you don't need to do this. Right now I don't you're, need you're to do this. You're independently wealthy. I don't, I don't need to do this. I don't, I don't need to do this. I do it because I want to do it. I do it because I can't wait to get sore feet being at PDAC for five days on my feet. I, and that's what's been disappointing here is I haven't seen all my old buddies. I haven't seen... They've all retired, maybe. Maybe they've always. Maybe they got tired of walking the floor. I don't. I don't know. I haven't seen all my old buddies. You know, hundreds blood, of them. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And then a lot of them that I. I mean, I have seen a few of them, and you know, I've gone back to my hotel room at night and said, "Wow. Thank God I work out a couple hours a day. Thank God I try to eat right. Thank God I. You know, because I mean, I look at a lot of other people. You know, and I say, you know. I'm just, just happy I am where I am, and I'm excited that, you know, people, my ex-employees want to come back and work for me again. I'm excited that my ex-employees would, you know, think enough of me to call me back and say, hey, Peggy, I know you can raise some money for this. I think that all those things make me feel really good. Yeah. And when I go back into real estate development, uh-uh. <laughs> I don't know, just, it was boring. It's just, Funny. it's boring. But yeah. in your email, the first email that you sent Matthew, you said people love me and they hate me. They hate me. The hate is from the environmental liabilities, right? The hate, I think, uh, most of the hate came from the yellow knife. The mine. The mine. Yeah. And, you know, we didn't put that arsenic there. Falcon Bridge put the arsenic there for, what, 40, 35 years or somewhere before. I mean, the amount of arsenic that went into the ground from Royal Oak running that operation was probably less. I mean, I figured it out at one time, 5%, 8%, 4% mm -hmm. of the total arsenic underground. We didn't devise the, 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 the method of putting the arsenic in the frozen permafrost chambers underground. We just inherited all that. Those were the permits. The water board renewed our permits every year to operate. But yet I got, I got tarred with it. You know, I got tarred with trying to bring the union into line that had the worst safety record in Canada. I mean, I was getting phone calls three times a month with people seriously injured, back injuries. Uh, people killed underground and you know when we wanted to put that you know three strike and you're out provision in to the union contract and I won't sign another contract until we clean up the safety record here they fought me you know and so I got tarred with it you know my board made those decisions okay yeah. my board you know I had human resources professionals I had human resources consultants my board made those decisions but it was really easy it was easy because people want to go after one person, right? It was, they need to blame someone. They need to blame somebody. And in this case, it was Miss Piggy. Okay? And, and it was me. And then, of course, when, 
when we had to take the strike too because we couldn't let that mine flood at that point in time with no no reclamation situation and we let the mine flood all the stopes that we had open that we were storing the arsenic in not the ones that we had that been frozen off but the ones would have flooded and we would have had arsenic in the lake and we had to keep that mine running and we had to keep that mine pumped out and it was three million dollars a year to pump that mine out and we were a junior company i had to do what we had to do we had to bring in the replacement workers we had to keep running everybody says well you didn't have to well was somebody going to write me a $3 million check a year? What company, what institution's going to put up money for me to keep a mine open that's not producing any gold? You know? But I took, yeah, they said, well, you should never have bought the mine in the first place. So is it because Peggy took the risk? Is it because our board or we took the risk to buy the mine in the first place? Is it because I was naive and thought I could sit down across the table from a union and say, do you really want to hurt and kill your people? Mm. Was I that naive? And I was. I mean, I was young then. I was in my 30s, and I was young, and I hadn't seen it all. And, you know, and when our lawyers say, well, you know, replacement workers are illegal, and you got to keep the mine running, and you had hundreds of miners out of work in Newfoundland, load them up on a plane and bring them in. Nobody would have ever guessed that somebody would have taken, I mean, how bad does it have to get to start to take other people's lives? Versus a, it was, versus a safety record, you know? Versus a safety record. And how could I, in, how could I in good conscience sign a contract that didn't deal with the safety issues? I couldn't keep getting those phone calls. Somebody been killed underground. You know, a piece of loose fell off the back and hit the guy in the back and he'll never walk again. We airlifted him to Edmonton. You know, I mean, every every two weeks it was happening because we couldn't get control of the safety aspects. And that's why the strike happened. That's not, strike... not because of wages. No, 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 no. Because no, no. if you read back, it's like they were the highest paid miners. Yeah, it wasn't wages. It was control. We needed to control our mind and we needed to work safely, and we needed to run. I mean, we had a fabulous safety record in Timmins. We had steel workers in Timmins. They were great to work with. We could sit across the table from them. We could put in safety, you know, different things. Why do we have this problem in Yellowknife? Well, I was going to say, what, what was the union opposed to about that? Control. What do you mean, control? They didn't, they didn't want anybody, any management team controlling them. They were going to do what they were going to do. In terms of safety stuff? In terms of everything, in terms of shifts, running the mine, when they come to work, when they don't come to work. Okay. I mean, we had great relationship at Hopebrook with steelworkers. We had a great relationship at the same time in Timmins with steelworkers. Yeah. And, and this is why Falconbridge originally sold the mine to the Australians. I mean, if you talk to some of the old Falconbridge people, well, you know, Falconbridge sold the mine because they had all this arsenic underground and there were safety issues and they couldn't get control of the union. But I was maybe young and naive and I thought, oh, well, people have common sense. You know, who, what, what union management is going to want to support policies where their people get hurt? It's in the past. I've learned a lot. I, in, in, we didn't have any safety issues at Lamac. 
that signal a map. We were very careful there. I mean, we had good relations with our union there. We won't have any safety issues on any of the exploration camps that we've always run because I've been very, very, very much a stickler about it. Yeah. And in terms of how can the system get better, like insurance-wise, and making sure that there are bonds that cover the reclamation issues? I mean, there's a system there that doesn't seem to work necessarily. Maybe it does now, but maybe it didn't then. And it doesn't now. Because it wasn't just the giant mine that had environmental problems. It was Colomac, right? Well, there's, a, but there's lots of people. I mean, look at the situation like right now. I mean, at, at Chieftain. I mean, I had nothing to do with that. I mean, that that's up there now, and I mean, they've got problems. I mean, there's problems all over. Yeah, Imperial Metals tailings Imperial disaster. Imperial Metals tailings disaster. And it's not reclamation bonds. I think it's common sense. I think it's. I think it's governments having their eyes open and it's a trade-off. There is, there is trade-off with jobs. I mean, you can't go and employ thousands of people in an industry and not have some kind of effects. Now we've got, it's what all this has done, is all of this has, has promoted a lot of technology development. Remember, we didn't have a lot of technology development for cleaning up water and stuff. There wasn't a lot of technology development for covering over tailings and revegetation and stuff like this. Remember, we didn't even have what we call dry stack tailings until maybe 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. We ran these great big ugly tailings ponds all over, you know, and then the mining company leaves and the tailings pond is there and then some of the water evaporates and then some doesn't and I mean now we have new technologies. Um, and so a lot of this has forced the development of new technologies. And part of this is because nobody wants to put any money into technology development. The mining companies weren't putting in. They still don't. The governments don't want to put anything in. I mean, you've got why the governments didn't come forward and say, okay, for every dollar you put up, we'll put up a dollar and let's, let's develop some new technologies. Yeah. But we have good, there, there's some good technology out there now. I mean, dry, as an example, dry stacking tailings, I think that's going to be the wave of the future. Yeah, no, for sure. But the government plays a role. I mean, they need this investment. They need these, you know. They need the tax dollars. They need the tax dollars. And at the same time, though, they're on the hook for, for a lot of this environmental stuff. So where's yeah. the disconnect there? Uh, I, you know, taxpayers get mad at you because, but, hey, we're, our money's paying to, to clean up your, your waste, but, you know, it started earlier than that. But, but are, they, are they really, I mean, these days, the reclamation bonds, et cetera, that are being posted are covering good percentages of, I yes. mean, it's a, it's a different situation these days, yes. And if back and it when you were doing it... There weren't the any reclamation bonds required. So whose fault is that, though? It's, right? It wasn't our fault. It wasn't the mining company's fault. We did what we did. It wasn't the mining company's fault that we just kept getting granted the permit to put the arsenic underground. And I realized, we had all this arsenic sitting underground. Do you know there was a, there's 100,000 ounces of gold in that arsenic? I didn't. Yeah. I wanted to mine the arsenic out and make a, a, a copper arsenate product, product that you uh, preserve wood with 
and extract the gold. And that should have been something that was on the table. And well, I wouldn't have gotten rid of all of the arsenic. You, the way those chambers were put together and the way that the arsenic was deposited in those chambers, you could have, I, I think you could have cleaned them out real good. Really? Oh, yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah, yeah it's fascinating. Yeah. And no one wanted to listen to you. Anyway, but, yeah, yeah. you know, it's... Uh, what a fascinating... We're a fascinating career. industry, and I, I've had a fascinating career. You should write a book. What do I say? Some oh, people just, love me and some people hate me. Uh, <laughs> but geez. You know, I, I think fundamentally all of the people in my industry know that I was a trailblazer. And I'm very excited to be back doing what I'm doing now. But I know there's a lot of people out there that think, you know, I caused the problems or my company caused the problems. <laughs> whatever. I don't know, what can I say? So, I, I still remain upbeat about the mining industry. I remain very, very upbeat about metal markets. Um, we are always gonna need iron ore and zinc and lead and cobalt. And you know, I remember the days when you couldn't give the cobalt away. My business partner, Ross Burns, knew, I mean, I. When we started looking at this lithium, I got a box out of, the, out of his wife's storage room. Every lithium deposit in the world, he had a book, he had a box, all right? And when you really look at it, the whole earth is covered with lithium, you know? Just who can get it out the fastest? And will any of the hard rock lithium ever really make it? Or will it always just be the lithium salt, the brines mm -hmm. that, that survived the industry? And we'll see lithium for 10 years, and then it'll be something else. It'll be another flavor of the day. Yeah. New battery technology. New battery technology. Scandium now is the big thing. I know, I know, I know. But it's been a real pleasure to meet you. And uh... But I didn't want to miss, you know, coming to PDAC and being able to see you guys, I didn't want to miss the opportunity of, of, you know, sharing, I think, a little bit of what's made me chuckle over the last two years, and that is walking through these halls and saying, oh, I used to own that. Oh, yeah, you used to own that. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. Where'd you find the other two million ounces? You know, like, yeah. And you don't want to say anything to anybody, right? Because we've, we've all kind of learned through the school of hard knocks, you know. And, you know, there's new exploration techniques, too, right? Oh, yeah, drones, you name it. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, big new exploration and new modeling techniques for modeling these reserves and resources. So, so I'm, I'm really, really happy to see that, that there's a lot of technology that's, that's happening in our industry. Okay, two last questions. You've got a lot of energy. You said you work out. Mm -hmm. What do you do? What, what's, how well, do you look good and stay fit? Yeah, my heels are collapsed, um, and that's just part of a birth defect I've always had. Very flat feet and collapsed heels, so I have a hard time walking, and I can't wear any dress shoes or anything, so I'm always in a pair of running shoes. So I swim a lot, and I bike. I spin, I swim. I've done a couple triathlons wow. where I don't do the run part. I do the ones that you can have a team. So I do the swim and I do the bike and I find myself a runner. That's awesome. Yeah. I spin too, by the way. I love it. I love spinning.
It's hard as hell, but... But you know what? You can escape it all. Yeah, that's exactly the right. The music comes on. Yep. You're in. You're co you're collecting other people's energy around. Yeah. And I just go and I forget it all. And, and I love to spin. Spinning is actually my favorite. I, I spin six days a week. Really? Holy. I spin six days a week. I probably swim four wow. days a week a mile at, mile at a time. Jeez. Yeah. That's amazing. I have a road bike like 40 kilometers on the road at a time. I don't, I barely, I can barely walk. I mean, I load the day when I'm going to have to come back here in a wheelchair or something, you know. And there's nothing they can do. There's, there is some surgery that might be able to fix one of my really bad heels, but the success rate is like only 60%, 65%, and it could get worse rather than better. So I figure I'm just better to... But I've always had the problem. I've, I've only, it's just gotten worse and worse and worse. Do you have kids? I have two children. What yeah. do they do? Are they in the They're mind? both in university. Oh, cool. What are they studying? My, my son is at University of Northern Colorado, and he's just announced to me that he wants to be a lawyer. Okay. Okay. That's pretty good. And uh, he's taking a sort of a pre-law uh, economy curriculum. My daughter is a communications major at Wazoo, Washington State. And I am desperately trying to see if I can um, convince her that she should be doing communications in the mining business. <laughs> but I think that they've both been so turned off with their mom having to travel so much and go out in the boonies and they're always scared, you know, well, what airplane are you riding on now and what Twin Otter are you on and what DC-3 are you on now and what helicopter are you flying on now? I'm just not sure either one of them will go, you know, either one of them will have anything to do. My son's talking about elder law because he sees too many elderly people yeah. be abused. That's, that's a growing industry. It's a growing our industry. our dem demographic. Yeah, from a demographic standpoint. Are you married? I am, yes. I, so these, th these kids are from your first marriage? These or? kids are from my second marriage. Okay. So this is my third. Okay. Okay. So... <laughs> What does he do? He is a um, he is a lawyer that has never practiced um, uh, with a firm, so he's never been called. But he does mining law, and um, he is actually the CFO of Stratabound. I hired him ten years ago, twelve years ago, as to be my gold trader when we were running Century. And he had been divorced for years and years, and um, I went through a divorce, and I had the two kids. And during the Russian adventure, when we were trying to bring the Russians in and Deutsche Bank in for the $55 million, we started working day and night together to get this deal done. And we fell in love. That's great. That's great. And uh, he deals with the TSX, and... He does all of our contract work, and before that he was with AMEC, the big environmental firm. Before that he was with AMEX Coal. Okay, so he's got a lot of mining, industry, mining, environmental, Perfect. mining, coal. He's spent a stint selling electricity with a, one of the big power companies buying all the coal and for, for coal-generated electrical plants. and stuff like that so he's got a lot of hardcore industrial experience but he does have a he has an MBA and a law degree okay. and an accounting Smart. degree so he can 
he basically holds up the other side of the company and so we don't have a lot of outside legal costs to pay and other than our audit we don't pay a lot of accounting costs. <laughs> sure. And my last question and, and I don't know I'm hesitant to ask it but on the other hand as a woman mm -hmm. how's it been for you? I mean you know you go to these things they're all suits uh, very few women but more now but when you were doing it you were probably one of the few. Only Do you think few. any of the blame on I, I, that's why I didn't want to ask but how much of it is just sexist? I don't know. How oh, do up until, probably up until less than 10 years ago, it was all sexist. Although I had, the reason I was successful is I had an ability to warm up the other sex. Okay, I, I you know, it's even like last night, you know, we were at the Peru event and, and my husband was with me and, and he says, hey, how do you just go in there and work a room? He says, you don't know any of these people. And I said, yeah, and my Spanish isn't very good either. It's there, but it's not very good. And he says, somehow, he says, you have a couple glasses of wine, and the next thing you know, you've worked the whole room. And he says, I'm still standing here, not being afraid to go up and talk to the first person. I'm like him. <laughs> and I just said, well, I think it's because of having to be a woman in a man's world. And so being a woman in the man's world early on is I had to make them feel at ease with me. They had to invest in me. And so very quickly, you have five minutes with a person, three minutes, and you have to show that person that you're easy to get along with, and you have to show that person that you are... Mm, intelligent. Intelligent. You have to go? Man or a woman, you have you have two minutes, three minutes, five minutes to get your message across, to show you that I'm technically competent, and that I'm not going to give you any problems, and that I'm going to be easy to communicate with. And that was my goal in walking into a room of men, going into the national club, trying to get myself into the Vancouver club in Canada when they didn't want to let a woman in. I wasn't going to threaten them. But then there are certain things along the way that did threaten the men. The strike in Yellowknife, all the CEOs got scared. They were scared their unions were going to cause them problems. I got huge backlash from the, wind, from the industry on the Windy Craggy sale. Why did you give it away? You should, you know, what, what are you doing, Peggy? You know, you're... You're making the industry look awful. You needed to fight. We needed to keep that World Heritage Site out of there. We needed to fight and fight and fight. And I stood up and I said, guys, I don't want to name names here. I said, you weren't going to fund my legal costs. I said, this could have turned into a $200 million legal fight with the BC government. Why would I not take their money and go use it to do something else? Well, you know, you made us look bad. So, you know... They love me, they hate me, you know, and, but with investors, it's real easy. I mean, somebody walks up to the booth, I have two minutes, two minutes to convince them that I know what I'm talking about so that they'll start to believe me on Golden Culvert and that I can smile and I can make them feel comfortable and they can grab a candy out of my candy jar and they can sit there and talk to me for 15 minutes. It's a real art because I see people and I see employees that I have and they're fabulous technical people. They kind of stumble along. They 
you know, it's like last night I was with Kim and I was with Rich and we were in that Peruvian room and I guess, well, I'm here, free booze, have a couple glasses of wine, hey, I can work this room. <laughs> Okay, and I got a whole bunch of business cards and free people who said they were going to send me properties and you know that's great. And so that's the way it is. All right. Well, very nice talking to you. Nice to talk to you too. Well, that brings to an end our three-part interview series with Peggy Kent. Thank you so much for uh, sharing your time with us, Peggy, and uh, for Trish for the, carrying out the interview. And by all means, if you want to th- uh, help out the podcast, you can thank our sponsors, the Grosso Group and the Yukon Mining Alliance, as well as uh, like the podcast and forward them and uh, subscribe to the podcast. All that helps. So that's it for this episode. Thanks, and bye-bye.